0: Well, it's one of those calls that as a pastor you hate to get. They happen, and when they do, you got to do what needs done. Got a call. There was a young lady from our church, church where I was pastoring at the time. Called that uh, she was in prison, she was in jail. And let's um, just to say the reason she was there. Meant that she wasn't going to be leaving for a long time, so I went to visit her. Now, if you ever visited somebody at the at a jail or at a prison, but that's an interesting experience, that's for sure. And uh, we're sitting there, and you know, we're through a pane of glass, and we're talking on a phone, and and um, she's broken, young lady. She's broken. I mean, life as she knows it is is very different now, very different. And I said, um, "Is there anything I can do for you?" What can I do for you? How can I help you? And she said, you know, I, I've been here for about two weeks, and I haven't heard from my mom. I've heard nothing from my mom. I just, I need to see my mom. I said, all right. I'll, I'll go talk to her. I'll, I'll bring her here. Where can I find her? Where does she live? And she said, well, she doesn't really have an address. She doesn't have an address. No. You'll you'll find her at you'll find her at this bar and she described this this bar in town and and told me how to get there and and I said all right I'll go there and I'll find her so I go to that bar now I'd never been to a bar in Martinsburg okay that's not something I'd ever experienced. Um, it was kind of awkward for me, okay? The, I found out, some of you, probably none of you know this, but I didn't know this, but you can't just open up the door, okay? You walk up to the door, and you grab the door, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get in, and the door wouldn't open. I'm like, well, what's going on, you know? Are they like out maybe selling Girl Scout cookies, or, or what's happening here? And then I, I'm pulling on the door, and some guy comes to the door, and he goes, you got to ring the bell, and shut the door. I'm like, okay, so... I rang the bell, and then he opened up the door, and I, and I walked in, and I'm looking around, and you know, it's just, I mean, it's, you know, it's like you might imagine, you know, there's kind of a haze of smoke in the room, and you know, there's just the smell of old alcohol and old smoke, and there's a pool table there, and there's a few very desperate people sitting around the room, and I walked around, and trying to find this individual, I've, I've got a name, but that's all I've got, I don't know what they look like, I don't know anything, I walk around, and I walk up to this person. This lady sitting there. She said, you don't look like you belong here. Now, I don't know why she came to that, that conclusion. You know, I'm in pastor wear that day. You know, I've got on the, the, the shirt and the, you know, the pants tucked in, you know, and all neat in pri- front, you know, just ready to roll. She says, you don't look like you belong here. I said, no, I don't, but I'll tell you what I'm here for. So she helped me out. I was able to find the lady and, you know, I wish I could tell you the story it turned out really good. It, it didn't. Those rarely do. But for that moment, I knew I was at a place that I didn't exactly fit in. I didn't exactly fit in there, you know? I mean, I, I just didn't belong. I was, it was just out of my element. You ever been there? Not to that bar. But have you ever felt like I just don't belong here? You ever had that feeling? I remember one time my daughter and I landed in some other country down in Central America, Honduras or El Salvador, or I don't know where it was. But we, we come off the plane and we walk you know, in, off, of the, off of the ramp into the, into the airport. And there's nobody else there who looks like us or talks like us. They're all talking a different language. And we look at each other like, yikes, we don't really belong here. It's just a strange feeling. You know, I think a lot of believers have that feeling a lot. We come to realize, you know what? I don't really belong here. There's something off. Many of us, we live with this feeling in the back of our minds all the time. You don't have to travel to a foreign country or go to some nasty little bar to realize you're at a place, you're in a world, and you know what? You don't really belong here. Do you have that feeling ever? When you're watching the news and you're seeing what's going on in our world or you're just sort of living your life, journeying wherever you're going, talking to people at work or, or on the team or at school or whatever, and you come to realize, you know what? We just, I just don't belong here. I spend my money different. I spend my time different. I've got a different set of hobbies. I've got a different set of interests. I hang out with, with, with a different type of people. I've got a different, I find different things funny than everybody else. You ever have that experience? Other people talk about this, they talk about that, and you just, you're just like, you know what? I, 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 just, I just don't belong here. Listen, you're right. You're right. We don't belong here any more. I want us to understand that today. Because see, when we we see this opposition to the kingdom of God, we kind of stand at a Y in the road, we think. We kind of stand at a Y in the road. When we realize that I don't really belong here, we kind of stand at a Y at the road. And one direction is, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right on in. I'm going to talk that way, I'm going to act that way, I'm going to do those things, my life is going to be the same, I'm going to fit in, I'm going to do whatever it takes to fit in. That's one why in the road, when you realize, you know what, I don't belong here. Some of us, take that road. Back up though, there is another direction, okay? Some of us, instead of, I'm just going to dive right in, we find a castle, or find a cave, and we treat in all by ourselves with just me and my friend, okay? And the world is like it is, and they're bad. I'm just going to keep them out. I'm going to keep them out. I build a big fence, okay? You know, big jabby things on top so they can it climb over, and I'm safe here. We think it's either one or the other. I either go with the flow, or I just sort of hunker down here and wait it out Till finally I go to heaven. Is there another option? Is there another option? I believe Daniel shows us that there is. Daniel has demonstrated to us that we can live in this world fallen as it is, sin-cursed as it is, as opposed to God as it is. We can live in this world and not be of it and have dramatic impact upon it. You can have influence on the world that opposes Christ. You can. Listen, we are not going to change this world. We're not going to Christianize this world. We're not going to make this world friendly to Jesus. That's not going to happen. Get that thought out of your mind. But that's not the only option. We can have influence on the world that we are in. When you look in the book of Daniel, we've been walking through that. It's already been referenced today. Um, I'm going to open up to Daniel chapter 1. You might join me. Daniel is a man of God who lived 700, I'm sorry, 600 years before Jesus. 600 years before Jesus. 2,600 years ago. And he was called to live in the world, but not be of it. He had influence in his world. And we have walked through that and seen it. We've seen it. Daniel, in chapter 1, we, we, we walk through it. I just remind you what we talked about. Daniel honored God in a world that doesn't. In a world that doesn't honor God, Daniel did. And said, test, test us. Don't feed us from the, from the king's table and see what happens. He honored God in a world that didn't. We went to chapter 2 then. And there we saw Daniel hoping hoping on God in a world that didn't. The world had nothing to do with God, and he hoped on this God. In chapter 3, fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown in there, okay? We saw these men standing for God in a world that doesn't. The world we live in doesn't stand for God. It lies down for anything. Anything that will meet my selfish needs. Believers stand for God in a world that doesn't. Chapter 4, this was Nebuchadnezzar out in the field, eating like an animal. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar came to see God because Daniel was seeing God in a world that doesn't. Chapter 5, Belshazzar handwriting on the wall, hearing God in a world that doesn't. And last week, Daniel in the lion's den, following God in a world that doesn't. In Daniel, we see what it looks like, what it looks like for us to hope to honor, to stand, to see, to hear, to follow God in a world that doesn't. You go do the same. We need to do the same. Live for the Lord Jesus in a world that opposes Him. You know, the Bible calls you something. You know that? You ever ever thought of what the Bible calls you? The Bible has names for you and me. The Bible calls us aliens, strangers, pilgrims, Visitors, sojourners, exiles, and ambassadors. That's what the Bible calls us. Strangers, aliens, exiles, visitors. You're right. You don't belong here. When you came to Christ... I hope that you have. I hope that you realize that you were a sinner. You realize that Jesus had paid the penalty for our sin and died in our place. And you received His gift. He offers a gift to us. He offers a gift of life. He offers a gift of forgiveness. Only God can forgive. Only God can forgive. And He offers the gift of forgiveness through the death of His Son. And for all who received Him... He gives them the right to be called children of God. That's the gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God, Jesus called it. The good news of the kingdom. And when that happened in your life, God transformed you. God made you a new creature. And it's that new creature life that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about something that is all through your Bible. It is the kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom of God. I want to talk about that for a little bit. And it's an expression that it's important for us to understand what it means. Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of God over and over and over. He referred to the kingdom of God. We need to understand what that is, what it means, because here's the reality. You know why you feel like you don't fit in? You know why you feel like you don't fit here on earth? Because you've been remade, you've been reborn. You are a brand new creature, not an improved one. That isn't what God did. God didn't take you and polish you up and make you a little better. God totally remade you. The only way Jesus could say this in a way that could be grasped is he said, you have been born again. Born again. And when you were reborn, you weren't made for the kingdom of this earth anymore. You were not made for this kingdom anymore. You were now made for the kingdom of God. When you were reborn, when you received Christ, and He made you a brand new creature, you are now designed for the kingdom of God. So in many ways, it's like it's like we are now this, this creature who breathes air, who's stuck living in the water. Okay, call it an amphibian, I guess, or something. Okay? So we are now, we are living here in the kingdom of this earth, but we're made for the kingdom of God. Now, as I said, your Bible has much to say about this. Much to say. Okay? I'm going I'm to reference several verses. You can look at them as, 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 as much as you can get there. I'm going to go quick. You ready to listen fast? Because we're going to go pretty quick. Okay? Jesus said much about the kingdom. In Matthew 13, 34, he said this, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In Matthew 13, Jesus described the kingdom of God that way. That people of, of the earth who realize what he's done sell everything they have... Meaning they give everything that they are, not their dollars so much, but their life to this Savior and say, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. Jesus went on. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. We should repent and believe the Gospel. So it's an invitation to this kingdom. And Jesus said this. His kingdom, He stands here before Pilate. Pilate is going to sentence him to death in just a few minutes. He's going to send Jesus to the cross where he will die a wicked, wicked death in just a few hours. And Jesus says this, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I'd call just legions of angels and they'd wipe you out, Pilate. But my kingdom is not of this world. You see, there's a kingdom, there's a kingdom that is not of this world. And when you came to Christ, you were made for it. Now, what is a kingdom? See, we don't like kings and kingdoms. I mean, have you ever met a king? Me neither. There's not many left on the earth. Okay, when there's a kingdom these days, we don't even call him a king. We call him a dictator, and we go in and wipe them out. Right? That's what we do to kings pretty much anymore. Our country was founded in rebelling against the king. Was it not? So kings and kingdoms, that's something that we're not comfortable with. You know what we don't like about kings and kingdoms? You know what it is? A king has absolute authority. A king has absolute sovereignty. A king has absolute will. If a king speaks, it happens. A king rules his kingdom in that way. And we don't really like that, do we? We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like those who try to tell us what to do. But God is king. And he has a kingdom. And if you're in Christ, you've been remade for that kingdom. So when you're not in it, when you're not experiencing the kingdom of God, it's going to feel like a fish out of water. Okay? Now, just just for sake of time, I'll tell you that through the book of Acts, the the apostles and those who were leading the church of that day continued to preach the kingdom. Continued to say the kingdom is at hand. We need to preach the kingdom of God. This idea of kingdom is very, very important. Okay? Let's turn let's turn to one example. One example. I want you to go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. See here what, what we see about the kingdom. Okay? Acts chapter 19. He's talking about Paul here as he is going around and sharing the Gospel and and, and sharing the good news. I want you to see what he said in verse number 8. It says that Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. For three months now he's he's in the synagogue speaking boldly. Now, don't read the rest of it. Just pause. Look up at me for a minute. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Maybe he's talking about marriage. We're doing a focus group right now on on Sunday mornings, 30. Maybe he's doing a marriage seminar. Okay? I don't know. Maybe he's walking through the book of James, like Brock and Brian are doing right now. Okay? Focus hour. I don't know. What's he doing? Well, we're going to find out. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. This is what Paul's message. There is a kingdom. And there is a king. And he invites you to the kingdom. But you must be remade to enter. Now we're going to go to the book of Daniel in just a few minutes. Daniel talks a lot about kings and kingdoms. In the first six chapters, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, there's 190 verses. 190 verses, okay? In Daniel chapters 1 through 6. King or kingdom is referenced 168 times. Almost once per verse, Daniel mentions a king or a kingdom. See, he understood what king and kingdom meant. I want us to. I want us to. All right? Now, I've got, some, I've got some couplets up on the screen. I've got some things that, that are true of the kingdom, and this is some of our confusion about it. Let me just take a few minutes and talk about this. Okay. Now, typically when you think of kingdom, it's a place. You know, maybe a castle and a moat, Okay, a land, a region, right? So when I say kingdom of God, you're all thinking place. Am I right? And listen, in a, there is a sense that the kingdom of God is, is a place. There's a sense that it's a literal, physical place. Jesus will come again. And when He comes, He will establish a literal, physical kingdom on earth. But that place doesn't exist right now. No, no, no. Kingdom can also mean power or reign or rule. So here's part of the trouble we have with kingdom. In some respects, it's a place. In some respects, it's a power or a rule or a reign. Okay, let's just go down my list here. It's material and spiritual. Material and spiritual. The kingdom of God is material. Now, consider this God has established a a, a material world that is governed by material laws, such as gravity, okay, you know, photosynthesis. All these, there's a material aspect to God's kingdom, but there's also a spiritual aspect to God's kingdom. And you as and I, as kingdom people, understand that God controls the material world, but he desires to control the spiritual world of my heart. See, the kingdom of God is is somewhat confusing to us. I'll keep going. It's present and future. It's present and future. I want, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is, it is here. The kingdom of God is here. But there's also aspects of the kingdom of God that are not going to be here until Jesus returns. Continuing down, partial and complete. Partial and complete. You know people who don't live in the kingdom of God do not live under the rule or reign of God. The vast majority of human beings do not live under the rule and reign of God. However, God controls all things. All things. See, this is confusing. Am I the only one who's confused by this? I find it very troubling to understand the kingdom of God. It's universal and individual. Here's what I mean by that. God... Rules over all things and He invites you as an individual to follow Him willfully. And lastly, it's by God's decree and it's by our loving will. For instance, let me give you an example. The trees. The trees that you and I go by and see. You know they're part of God's kingdom. And they bring glory to God. They don't have a choice in the matter. Trees don't have a choice in the matter. They glorify the Creator. But you and I? We have a choice. We have a choice. We need to understand that in this world, we see the kingdom of this world, and we are living in it. But above it, maybe, or within it, is the kingdom of God. And I'm inviting you to understand that dynamic and to submit your life to Him as our King. Let's see this in Daniel. Here's my plan. For the next couple minutes, I want to jump around in Daniel chapters 1 to 6. And I want to show you some kingdom truths that Daniel encountered. And I want to encourage you by them as you and I live in this world understanding the kingdom of God. Okay? Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. Let me remind you what happened. Daniel is now captive in Babylon. He's been taken from his land of Jerusalem and taken to the nation of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and Nebuchadnezzar has this plan. He kidnaps some of the young, sort of attractive, smart young people of a culture that he is trying to dominate, bring them back to his own world and indoctrinate them, and indoctrinate them with the thinking and the the ideas of the Babylonian culture. And so he does that with this young man, Daniel. And Daniel chapter 1, Daniel is very likely no older than 15 years of age. He can just get his driver's permit. That's it. Can't even drive legally, okay? 15 years of age. Picked up, put in Babylon. And what's amazing is he understands the kingdom of God. Look at me at verse 19. This is the end of the story after the after the after the showdown has happened. And Daniel commits and asks for permission of the king to not eat of his food and of his wine and to test him in ten days and to see, is he still going strong? Verse 19. And the king spoke with Daniel and his friends, them. And among them were, were these men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They stood before the king. Look at verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now here's what I want us to understand. God's kingdom is at hand. God's kingdom is here. And he is ruling in this world. And followers of Christ understand that. I love the fact, verse number 21, it says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. You know what's pretty cool about that? Daniel was there until the rule of King Cyrus, but Nebuchadnezzar wasn't. Neither was his son, Nabonidus. Neither was his son, Belshazzar. Neither was the next guy, Darius. Darius. So Daniel here, in the kingdom of God, outlives four kings of the world. The ruling powers of the world. this, This man, Nebuchadnezzar, and these little peons that follow him, they are ruling the known world. And Daniel, this little slave boy that's living for God, outlasts them all. You know what it shows us? The kingdom of God is at hand. The whole, the whole story of the Bible is about God's kingdom winning. It's about God's kingdom winning. Just track through it with me. Just follow along. God started this world, this universe, as His kingdom. He made the earth and all that's in it. This will be my kingdom, God said. And He populated that kingdom with people. And He said, love me and obey me. That's all I ask of you people. Just don't eat of this tree. And what happened? They rebelled. They rebelled. Insurrection within the kingdom. There's sin, rebellion against the king. And so now the king must curse the earth. And so sin has its way on this planet. But don't worry, the king gives promises I'm going to return, I'm going to come back, I'm going to set things straight, I'm going to deal with this sin curse. And so the king comes. But shockingly, shockingly, the king dies in place of sinners and lays in a tomb for three days, a dead king. You understand why the Jewish people rejected him? It makes perfect sense why they rejected him. What king comes and dies? What king comes and dies a, a, a criminal's death on a cross? For three days, the king lay dead. And then the king came back to life, conquering sin, conquering the curse of death, and ascends to be with the Father, and what has he promised? I will return and I will set up my kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. We need to learn that from Daniel. I can't promise you, I cannot promise you that if you don't eat from the king's table and don't eat the king's wine, that God's going to bless you ten times better than everybody else. I can't promise you that. If I told you that, you'd know I was lying. But I can promise you this. The kingdom of God will prevail. The kingdom of God will prevail. God and His grace will prevail. Don't give up hope. Daniel didn't. Daniel didn't give up hope. Neither did his friends. They kept going. They kept trusting the king. You do the same. Okay, go to chapter 2. Go to chapter 2. You've got to listen quick now, okay? Go to chapter 2. Now we have King Nebuchadnezzar building that giant statue. Remember it? It was made of four different metals, okay? Gold, silver, bronze, iron, all right? And there's a, there's a lesson here that, that Nebuchadnezzar is to learn. He sees this giant statue in his vision, and this rock comes and knocks the giant statue to the ground and just busts it into bits. And Nebuchadnezzar can't understand this. He's scared to death. What does this mean? And Daniel tells him this. Daniel reminds him of this great truth. That God's kingdom is ruled by a divine king. God's kingdom is not ruled by any man. How thankful I am for that. Listen, no president, he or she, is going to deliver this world from the trouble that we're in. It's not going to happen. That, I do not look for a savior on Pennsylvania Avenue. You shouldn't either. No political party is going to do it for you. Let that dream go. Let that, let that nightmare go. We learn from Daniel chapter 2 that the kingdom of God will be ruled by a divine king. There's only going to be one. One. The Lord Jesus Christ will rule. Look at chapter 2, verse 44. Hear the words of Nebuchadnezzar now about our God. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. This is what Nebuchadnezzar's dream meant. God is now speaking into the mind of a person of this world about his kingdom. He says that there will be a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that by it it broke the pieces of iron and bronze and clay and silver and gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. Folks, God's kingdom is only ruled by a divine king. And this world will oppose him until he comes. So do not be shocked. Do not be dismayed. Don't let it cause you to fall into passive inactivity when you see that this world opposes God. There is a divine king. He will rule this world one day from Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, literally, literally now. Physically, on the throne of David, He will rule. Jesus Christ will return this one, not made of human hands. No, no, no. This isn't some statue that somebody's going to build. No. God, who is not made. The one who existed before time. There is no beginning to this one. And He will come and rule here. And every right made wrong. I'm sorry. Every wrong made right. Did you catch that? Were you awake? Every wrong made right. Every tear wiped away. No more darkness. No more pain. No more sickness. No more abuse. No more words that break our heart when we hear people say them. No. Not when the divine King comes. Don't look to man. Don't look to woman. Look to the divine King. He's coming. We learned that in Daniel. But we keep going. Go to chapter 3. Go to chapter 3. Best story in the Bible. Here it is. Those, those young men being thrown into the fiery furnace. Oh. When, they, when they look at the King and they say, King, our God... The king of the universe, he can deliver us from this flame. He can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, our knees won't bow. We may burn. We may burn to our death, but our knees will not bow. Great story. Great true account of an event that occurred. I want you to look at verse 28 though of chapter 3. Verse 28. Look what it says. Nebuchadnezzar answered them when they were delivered from the flames. He said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted to him and set aside, now check this out, the king's command. Who's speaking? Who's saying that? Nebuchadnezzar. What's his title at this point in his life? King, whose command are, are set aside? His own. He's speaking of his own commands. You see that? He says, your God sent his angel, delivered his servants and trusted him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their very own. I want you to understand, God's kingdom is opposed. God's kingdom is opposed. We've said that many times today. But listen. It doesn't just happen with fiery furnaces. That's not the only way that God's kingdom is opposed. Let me deal with one in your life. Because I doubt many of you have ever been thrown into a fiery furnace. And probably you're never going to. Okay? But here's how it works for us. It's funny how this comes up so often. This is our life. You log on to your computer. You click on the Facebook. And there it is. There they are. They're taking another trip. They bought another car. Their kids got straight A's again. Okay? And there it is. And where do you go in your heart? Where do you go? The fiery furnace is there, ready to consume. It's called coveting, it's of this world. It's not of the kingdom of God. Coveting is not of the kingdom of God. And so there it is. It's, it's ready to consume you. And, and the, the consummation of you looks like this. When you question the very character of God. You say, God, why don't you give me that? Why don't you let me go there? Why don't you let my person get straight A's or you know, score 12 goals or whatever it is? Why don't you let me do that? You're not good to me, God. And the kingdom of this world says, curse God and die. That's what the kingdom of this world says. But the kingdom of God, people, they understand, I will not bow. I won't bow. So what do I do? I stop right there. And I just tell you practically, this is what I do. I'm looking at your Facebook feed. I'm pointing at nobody. I'm looking at your Facebook feed, okay? I'm tempted to covet. This is what I do. Stop. Slow things down. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bend. I'm hopefully not going to burn. And I say, God, I don't want to covet. That is not of you. You've given me anything I want and anything I need. Lord, I have it. You've given me all my needs. You've satisfied me. I am satisfied in you. Coveting is sin. And I don't want it. I want you. And now listen, that's no, I'm, I'm not saying it's some kind of magic rabbit's foot that you rub it in and then coveting, you know, just like fairy dust just blows away. I'm not saying that. But I am telling you this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I didn't make that up. That's 1 John 1, 9. And it is kingdom of God thinking. You're not going to approach a fiery furnace, very likely. You're never going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. But you will face the fiery Facebook. Okay? You will face the fiery lust pit of this world that offers many lies to us. Okay? See, this is very practical. Practical. This is very practical. Where will I put my trust? In the kingdom of God or what the kingdom of man has to offer me? I know I don't belong here. I know it doesn't deliver. I know it doesn't come through. It doesn't satisfy. I've tasted before. It's not good. I'm going to trust God in His kingdom in His righteousness. I'm opposed though. I'm opposed. I'm in a battle. Listen folks, we're in a battle. There is no retreat. Prepare yourself. You can't get away from it. It's here. Let God's Spirit transform you and prepare you for it because that's our next point. You go to Daniel Daniel chapter 4, here's what we find. God's kingdom is victorious. Victorious. Look with me at verse 34. Remember the story, okay? This is Nebuchadnezzar goes out on his, you know, little porch, sees his kingdom. He's like, "Oh man, I have done so many things. I am so awesome. I am so wonderful." And God says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa." And God now for, for 7 years Nebuchadnezzar has the mind of an animal. And goes and lives out in the field, no shelter, he eats food like an animal. I mean, you'd say he was insane for seven years. Okay, He's, he's out there in the, in the woods now, living for seven years. At the end of that time, though, God brings him to his senses. Look at verse 34 with me. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion that's kingship. Is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom, that's his reign, endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of the heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Listen, folks, God's kingdom is victorious. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood this when they were opposed. Worst case scenario, they die and they're instantly with God in His kingdom. He is eternally victorious. Moving along quickly. Chapter 5, when we go there, this is is cool, we've got to take a minute and hit this one too. Um, Chapter 5, look at verse 17. Oh, I want us to be this. I want us to be this. You see, God's kingdom requires transformation. Jesus with Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 3. Nicodemus comes to him and says, Hey, you know, how how can we have eternal life? Nicodemus, he says, Unless a man is born again, he cannot what? Enter into the kingdom of God. Boom, there it is. The kingdom of God requires transformation. See a transformed man. Look at Daniel chapter 5. Look at verse 17. New king of earth, same king of the universe, the Lord Jesus. Daniel here, a a follower of God. The new king says to Daniel, hey, you tell me what this writing is on the wall, and I got three things for you. A purple shirt, a gold necklace, and rule... Of my kingdom. Now I don't know why the purple shirt was so important, but it's there, okay? I see some purple shirts out there. Good for you guys, okay? The gold necklace, he'll get that as well. And have extreme power in the kingdom. Listen to the words of a transformed man. A transformed person who doesn't live for this world. They're living for the kingdom of God. And so when these offers come, because they will come, they will come, just do this, just do this, just offer this, just think this, just believe this, and all these riches are yours. Look what Daniel says, verse 17, and Daniel answered the king, He standing before the king, and he says, let your gifts be for yourself, little king, put the purple shirt on yourself, I don't need it. And give your rewards to another. But you know what? I'll read the silly print on the wall. I love this response. I love it. See, he doesn't buy into the kingdom of this world. He doesn't. He knows his post. He knows God is victorious, but he's transformed. Through the renewing of his mind, he's been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. He's above this world and lives for the kingdom of God. And then finally, just to close out, chapter 6, verse 26, more kingdom talk. It's all through here. 168 times. I mean, it's just all over the place. Now we've got basically the end of Daniel's life. This is it. He's an old man here. He just climbed out of the lion pit. Alive. Verse twenty-five. Then Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, as he seen Daniel be delivered. He said, "Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel." And hear what he says: For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. Listen what this king does. Listen now. He delivers, he rescues. That's this king. This king doesn't abuse, this king doesn't use, this king doesn't torment, this king doesn't torture. This king delivers. This king rescues. He rescued Daniel from the lions. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 10. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Gentile kings, they lorded over their subjects. The great ones exercise authority over them. That's what you're used to, Jesus is saying. In Mark chapter 10. All the Gentile lords, all the Gentile kings, they lord over their subjects, but shall not be among you. Whoever will be great among you must be the servant. Whoever will be first must be, must be the slave of all. Listen to what Jesus said. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What kind of king serves? What kind of king gives like that? What kind of king lays down his life and dies that we might be rescued from the great enemy sin? Satan, hell. What kind of king? Only one. The only king of the universe. King Jesus. He has a kingdom. There is a king in a kingdom. I invite you. He invites you. His spirit is inviting you today. To receive him. To allow him to rule as your Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Your Kingdom is not of this world, but Lord, You have us here for now. Strategically placed. God, You are so great. You are so beyond us. And Father, it's our privilege to not only know You, to not only be rescued by You, Lord Jesus, to not just be delivered by you, but to take you to a lost and dying world. God, that is how big and how good you are. You saved us. You transformed us. And now you send us. Aliens, strangers, ambassadors, Lord, we are yours. In Jesus' name.